It's Tuesday, April 28th. We're studying 2 Peter. We're in 2 Peter chapter 2. Take a look at the text here with me. You'll remember it starts off with the problem of false prophets or false teachers that are among us, that are going to be among us. They're going to be secretly bringing in, surreptitiously, uh, covertly bringing in destructive heresies, uh, denying the master who quote-unquote bought them. They're going to follow their sensualities. They're going to have the way of truth blaspheme. Now, our passage for today, verse number 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation, interesting way to put this here, from long ago is not idle. Uh, their destruction is not asleep. So here's our passage for the day. Now let's think this through and start with this important idea right here, which is so critical. And I guess three times in a row, I want us to at least remember this, uh, which I hope is now becoming a familiar Micah 3.5 5 passage, uh, just to deal with and underscore this problem of greed and false teachers. They go hand in hand throughout the Bible. Balaam in um, the, the book of Numbers and Balaam as it's referenced in Jude, a parallel passage to this in many ways, parallel. The ideas of false teachers connected to someone who's trying to do it for hire, who's trying to do it for the sake of money. Classic text here, of course, regarding the false prophets leading people astray. They'll give you a good message as long as it pays. That's the idea, something to eat. Uh, they're not real interested in giving you good words from the platform or the pulpit if you are not going to put anything in the offering plate. So there's the idea of the greed that drives all this. Now, think about the prophets, the true prophets and the false prophets. You had the priest Eli in our daily Bible reading not too long ago, uh, where the, the sons were all about themselves and greed. And I mentioned this, but I thought we'd look at it here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel, here's our good prophet, right? He's doing the right thing, became old. His son, he made his sons judge over Israel. And again, that's the administrative concept here. They're going to be leaders in the, in the nation. Uh, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Now, yet, the problem, though they were judges, though they were leaders, though they were from Samuel and his family, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. And it's so important to see that that is a continual problem and temptation among people who are speaking for a living, if you will, speaking God's truth for uh, their livelihood, which, by the way, the Bible, the Bible clearly affirms that, uh, that if people sow spiritual things in your life, they ought to be able to reap uh, material things from you. That's how Paul put it. Don't muzzle the ox while he's threshing. Not a very big compliment to preachers, uh, calling them oxen, but the passage is clear. They should make a living from uh, the gospel, and uh, that's important. Paul said he gave that up, that write-up, as a missionary when he went to places, not as a missionary to pass the plate, but the problem is, well, if that's the case, you might realize, hey, the offering goes up, so to speak, as long as you're giving them uh, messages that are always positive and always optimistic, and they never talk about sin or judgment or hell. And so you have people today, probably the best paid preachers in the world, who will, when confronted with, what about the Bible? What about hell? What about judgment? What about sin? Well, that's really not my ministry. That's not my thing. I don't like to do that. Well, it becomes an exploitation of people for the sake of money. And this is the sons of Samuel. Look at the passage here now, verse 3 of 1 Samuel 8. Uh, they took bribes, right? And they perverted justice. That's always going to happen. And they're more than just preachers. Uh, they're judges and sons of the, of, the, um, of, the, of the prophet Samuel. 
And all the elders, the leaders of Israel gathered together. They came to Ramah and they were going to then request the king. And that starts in chapter 8, if you know this passage, uh, the pivotal point when they're asking for a king instead of having God directly rule over them through the prophets and them dealing with God through the priests. All of that theocracy turns to monarchy, which was part of God's plan, obviously, as we said in our daily Bible reading, but uh, was there as a uh, rejection of God. In part, you can look at the sons of Samuel, who were bad leaders in terms of the kinds of leaders in Israel that you might have as spiritual advisors without a king. Uh, all of that really cascaded into a place where uh, God uh, was grieved in the sense that he shares the fact that they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. But it all starts with here, this they turned aside. They might have been on the right track at one point, but they turned aside uh, because of gain. They wanted more money. Speaking of, in their greed, they're going to exploit you. That's what happens with false teachers. They're going to use false words, literally made up words, words that just, they're, they're, they're words of their own imagination, and they're exploiting you because of the greed. Take a look at this as Paul warns Timothy, the pastor there in Ephesus, uh, when he says this, that if, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, there's going to be a lot of that, and he describes it just for the sake of fitting it on the screen here. What does that, that false doctrine, that bad teaching, that uh, false prophet teach among you? Well, it's going to produce, look at the first thing on the list, envy. Like, I want what you have. Dissension and slander and evil suspicions about people. Constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and depraved with the truth. And here's the message. This is what they're teaching. We're finally getting around to what does that false doctrine look like? Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Of course, that just even in its basic definition means they want money. They think, well, if you just be, if you're just going to get in with God, listen to what I'm telling you, and you'll do well. This is what we call in the modern era, at least we call it the prosperity gospel. Uh, but godliness, he says, he tries to clarify this with contentment, which has to do with the kind of gain they had in mind here, is great gain. It is a kind of great gain, but it's a gain that's spiritual, not necessarily financial. And then he goes on to talk about the fact we, bought no, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world, no U-Hauls after the hearse. And if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich, and again, look at the context, a different doctrine by those teachers of people that desire to be rich. How many people are going into churches, listening to messages, and their real desire is to be rich. And the problem is they fall into all kinds of temptation, and the temptation in this passage is false teaching, false doctrine. The desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, it becomes a snare for them, and there's a lot of senseless and harmful desires. That's the problem. Their desire for material things that plunge people into ruin and destruction because, now here's the famous line, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now you've heard it quoted before, the love of money, right? Uh, the love of money is, 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 is evil, it's all kinds of evil. But that's not what the text says, it's the love of, I'm sorry, money, you've heard say, is the root of all evil. There's the phrase that you hear. And I'm just clarifying in the passage, it's the root of all kinds of evil. Because, I mean, that's literally what the text reads, because people are wanting material things as we all naturally want nicer things, right? I'd rather have a nice, uh, whatever it might be, nicer car, be better than a junker car. But when that desire takes hold and starts then to give me a palate for a particular kind of teaching or uh, preaching, then we become exploited. And that's really the warning in the passage. We're hoping Peter's speaking to the people 
uh, about false teachings, and he says, don't be exploited by their false words, because you can, in a desire, look at the passage again, they desire to be rich, right? We got to be careful with that. We all de desire better things, rather have a better, I don't know, whatever it might be than a bad whatever it might be, whether it's a house or a car or clothes or shoes or whatever, but we can't have that be the thing that drives us. It can't be a desire. It can't be that desire to have more, that craving. And there's a lot of teaching out there that'll make you envious and uh, want to have all of these things, and it opens you up for exploitation. Uh, Jesus said that, and so this is the warning for us, right? If I don't want to be exploited here, uh, someone said in the crowd, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I want to settle the issue of what my parents left, and I don't want my brother ripping me off. I mean, that, there's the picture. But he said, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? In other words, if you come to me for a financial arbitration, that's not what I'm here for. And then he says this, even that you're so tied up about this, not that you shouldn't seek equity in a financial situation, but he says, take care, be careful, and be on guard against all covetousness or greed. And again, that's the 10th commandment, right? You can look at other people's stuff and say, I gotta have that. For one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions, although that's the deception, is it not? That we want more stuff and we think, man, really, we're gonna have real life if that's the case. And then he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And on we go in this text about a guy who builds all these silos and you know, says, oh, now I can finally kick back and enjoy everything. And God takes his life that night and God calls him a fool, you fool. Uh, who's going to get all the stuff that you prepared. That is a classic biblical principle of, listen, it's not about this life. It's not about all this stuff. That should not be your driving passion. And if it is, it sets you up for this, an exploitation from false teachers. And guess what they want out of you? They're greedy for your money, and then they want to exploit you, and they're going to do it with false words. And it's usually about you being rich and you being wealthy or healthy, wealthy. Those are the kinds of things we see so often. Now, this last phrase here is interesting. There's two parts to it. It's a, actually a Hebrew parallelism, uh, at least that from Hebrew rhetoric. It's obviously a New Testament Greek word, uh, words here. But it talks about the fact that something here, the condemnation is not idle, and their destruction right, is not asleep. Well, destruction, does it ever sleep? And destruction or condemnation, is it idle? Well, the idea here, condemnation and destruction, idle and asleep, uh, it's what we would, let's start with this, it's a personification of these things, condemnation and destruction, they don't ever slow down or sleep. Uh, but it says here, like uh, in Proverbs chapter 8, we personify things like we do with wisdom in the book of Proverbs so often. Does not wisdom call? Uh, does not understanding raise her voice? Wisdom and understanding raising her voice? They don't have a voice, right? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Well, they don't. wisdom doesn't stand up. Beside the gate in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries, right? To you, O men, I call. My cry is to the children of men, O simple ones, learn prudence, O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. Those are the, 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 the personification, making uh, this concept out to be something that is uh, personal, that is a thing personified, not a thing, but a person, like a, like a person that needs to you know, get going and a person that needs to either sleep or not be asleep. So that's to get us thinking in a rich way uh, about the idea of this judgment that's coming. And it, it is uh, a latotes, this, this idea here, it's a Greek word, um, is what's happening here in the sense that it's stated 
as a, as a negative. These are both negative concepts, usually are double negatives. And a latote, it's to affirm, it's to affirm something by an understatement. Um, like when I might say, look at my shoes, my new shoes. Uh, not bad, eh? Not bad, huh? Um, not bad, uh, not bad, double negative. And it's trying to get you to think about how good it really is. And in this case, the condemnation is not idle. That means their condemnation is revving up. And I just use this because this, um, idea of rhetorical devices sometimes is helpful in us understanding the full weight of a passage like this. So uh, condemnation is revving up and the destruction is not sleeping. That means it's awake. I mean, it might be tying its shoes, but destruction and condemnation is coming, which is what the context is going to be all about. The false teachers and their greedy doctrines, all of that is going to be judged. And it's not like the judgment is just not coming. This judgment like a person, like a bruiser, like a bouncer is coming and it's not sleeping and it's watching and it's on the way. That idea we see here even in uh, Romans chapter 1 when it talks about the righteousness of God is revealed uh, from faith to faith. That idea of this revelation of the, uh, of the righteousness of God. Well, the parallel here is the wrath of God is revealed, right? This, this, this passive it's a present passive indicative, which is a, uh, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It's coming, right? It is revealed. Right now it's being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. But it's not here yet, right? It's, it's like the righteousness was revealed in Christ. He came and provided us righteousness in that we are now accounted as righteous. But the wrath of God, not here yet, but it's like it's coming. It's on the way. It's like it's in the car. It's down the street. It's coming. And that's the sense of this picture right here, this parallelism between uh, condemnation and destruction. These are parallel concepts and not idle and, and not asleep, the negatives here of th this is on the way. So there is a judgment and it is coming and it's like it's just can't wait to get here. And while we look at the false teachers and sometimes we freak out about the sense that they're never like, they, how can they go on? How can they fill stadiums? How can their, their churches be filled as they teach a false doctrine and a false gospel? Well, it's not as though the judgment is not there. It's on its way. Just like in chapter 3, we're going to learn in Second Peter, uh, the promises of God are not slow either in, in the return of Christ. And here, the judgment of God is not slow. The promise of God's judgment, it is on the way. So just the thing that should encourage us in this passage is that the injustice that we see of people that say a lot of things about God in the Bible that seem to go unpunished, the punishment is on the way, uh, punishment is, the condemnation is getting its shoes tied, so to speak, and uh, as the Latotes tries to, to um, uh, illustrate in a personified way, uh, it's, it's, it's coming, it's strong, it's revving up, and it will soon be here. And much more on that as we look at some examples from the past that are to give assurance to the audience that Peter is writing to let them know that we ought to fear the judgment of God, we ought to never be exploited by false teaching, we ought to be careful to know God's word and live by it. Thanks for watching today. We're going to be back tomorrow dealing with 2 Peter chapter 2. Be sure to comment if this has been in any way encouraging or helpful to you. Uh, that's always an encouragement to us. We'll see you back here tomorrow.